Luther King stood for nonviolence. Not what's Martin Luther King. A street. And I don't give a fuck where you in America. If you're on Martin Luther King Boulevard, there's some violence going down. It ain't the safest place to be. You can't call nobody and tell them you lost on MLK. I'm lost. I'm on Martin Luther King. Run! Run! Listen, women, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you're listening to Synchronon. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, E. Simon. Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. Hi. It's cracking, Kate Rambo. Uh, no, mate. What's cracking with you? How's your fettle? <laughs> I think my fettle is doing quite well, to be honest. Uh, are we going to talk about what's going on? What's going on in your noggin? Your big Jew gorilla head? Are we going to talk about that? A Jew gorilla head? What do you mean? What's happened to your noggin? I, don't... I can see like so much more of your skull now. Oh, I got my hair cut short. I'm a, I'm a shorn Jew now. I'm a bit sad about it. I actually am not sad about it. It fucking sucks having big, long, a, a big curly Jufro is difficult to maintain. I know, but it, you look great with it, and it's just It's not difficult the same. to maintain, and I think that's debatable. Well, um, you it, do. It was just a pain in the ass. Like, I, I've, I've had this, like, Jufro for the past, I don't know, since COVID. Like, probably, what, three years going on four? Yeah. I know mostly because you like it. Um, but it's just a bitch. It's like you got to put in, it's like a leave-in conditioner and you got to put in other products. And sometimes you have to like make it dry out properly and like squeeze more. It's just, it's curly hair is difficult. Right now I got to cut short. It takes me two seconds. Yeah, I miss it. I miss the Jufro. I prefer it. Yeah, it just, I just got to cut short like a few hours ago. I'll get used to it. And you're already missing it. I know. I just like seeing the bou- like the bouncing Jufro going about the house. And not to mention, you, you always say I have a gorilla-sized head. The fro made my head like three inches bigger. Yeah, like but the circumference was like three inches bigger. It was like a beautiful bouncy fro. And now you look like you are in an industrial golf band. I like that look. It's way easier. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kate Rambo, when she's not vexing about my Jufro, um, has been working really hard to find gainful employment in uh, L.A. Yeah, it's very depressing. Uh, If anyone's ever immigrating and they're like, oh, I'll just catch a job when I get there. My advice is don't get a job for when you move. I don't think you can get a job when you're abroad. You kind of have to do it when you're here. But it's getting a job is not easy. It's depressing. It's, it's just difficult. I mean, unless somebody somebody hooks you up with a gig, I mean, it's tough. It took me, my current job, it took me like a year and a half to get it. Yeah, so if anyone's in the LA area and they want to hire me, I mean, I'm good at lots of stuff, wink, wink, but I am good at lots of stuff. Hire me. Well, that you know, now that we moved into this new spot and, uh, you know, and you're more or less adjusting, it takes a while to adjust to a, to a city uh, like LA. I don't know. You know, it takes 18 months. There's a whole, like, immigrant guide like of how long it takes you because it's kind of like going through the grief cycle and I'm only in like month three so I'm still technically grieving so uh, you find everything particularly hard in the first six months it it takes a little while to adjust but um but yeah I think you know once you get a little more used to the city and then you'll see you'll you know I'm setting up more resumes and uh just kind of looking for 
for help wanted signs, I imagine will be helpful. Uh, but are you looking for something like in a specific field or are you pretty much open to whatever that doesn't involve dancing on a pole? <laughs> well, I can't, I don't have the skills to pay the bills regarding pole dancing. <laughs> Definitely don't. But uh, yeah, I'll totally go and work somewhere to get fast, fast cash, like in a supermarket or something. But I would love to be like on set, a production assistant, any of that I think I'd be like really good at. And I also wouldn't get bored doing, but I definitely need to learn how to drive to do all of that. It's well, a that, process. It's definitely attainable. I mean, there's a lot of businesses just in, you know, around West Hollywood here. Well, yeah, working distance. in one of the crazy overpriced vintage stores where it has like original Pucci dresses. That would also be a dream for me. I would love that. Maybe you can work in one of the synagogues. You could like restore strimals. Oh, I would actually like that and like deep condition their strimals and like be like, why have you been doing this, Isaac? <laughs> Isaac, why haven't you been looking after your strimal that your pop-up gave you? We see these strimals because uh, so we mentioned strimals before. They're like the big furry hats that uh, the Hasidic Jews wear. But we have a code word for it. It's called a, we call it a merkin. So when you see a merkin, because you can't just be like, oh, my God, look at that strimal while the guy's walking by. Yeah, so the, we have a game system because, you know, we play this horrible judgmental game. We talk about it on the second show a lot. But... If you see a particularly great strimal, that's when you will alert with a Merkin. Merkin alert. Some of them are just really impressive. I, I think you should be allowed to call those out. Yeah, we saw like a free story one the other day. Yeah, it's it amazing. It like a wedding cake. So would you prefer a position working remote or a position in the office? Oh, remote, because I don't like, really like lots of people. Although I don't mind the office, whatever. I just well, want a job day. I want some money. Well, if you're into working remote, I think I might have found the perfect gig for you. Oh my God, what is it? And it doesn't involve uploading your feet to, feet, to, to feetfinder.com, though I do think you should look into that. I have nice feet. So yeah, that, that's that what I'm go. saying. You, yeah. Feet Finder, you can make a couple bucks here and there. So the other day I was on Instagram and uh, I saw this reel and I was like, this is like a really easy way for, uh, for you to make consistent money without even degrading yourself. It's just... Easy cash. Okay. Yeah, check out this gig. Here, let me play, let me play this. I, I'm going to play the reel. It's a job advertisement, and I really think you should seriously consider this. Okay, here is a side hustle so weird that you have never heard about, but pays bank. Get paid to poop. <laughs> let me show you how. You're going to start by going to humanmicrobes.org and click on donors. I highly recommend watching this video so you can get a bunch of helpful information. You'll then scroll down and click become a stool donor. That's what I'm talking about. You make stool every day. Why not donate it? This is like a job for Claudia, not for me. Well, you could do this. I might get stool shy. Listen, okay, let me, let me play some more. And it's not like you're donating stool to like stoolfinder.com. You're donating it to like a human microbe organization. I don't want to sound like I'm Rusty Shackleford um, conspiracy theorist here, but I kind of don't want the government having my DNA. Even though they already have my DNA, I don't probably want probably already do it. it. You might as well make money for it. All the steps and get paid $500 per 500. stool. If you per have a stool. bowel movement every single day, it can total to $180,000 per year. Scroll all the way to the bottom, take the stool donor questionnaire, and get paid to poop. Follow for more. You know what? I should have printed out the stool donor questionnaire. Oh, and we could have gone for it together. <laughs> Did you actually look on the website, though, and see if it's legit? I think it's legit. I mean, I've seen this ad several times on Instagram. 
ads on Instagram, always legit. <laughs> yeah, like how this <laughs> this is the advert that's targeted specifically for you. <laughs> what do you think? There's like a, a guy like Harrison that's that's that got the domain humanmicrobe.org. <laughs> oh yeah, and he's just sat home <laughs> just waiting. Just women are sending in their shit. Yeah, anytime a, a man fills in the question form, he's like, "Sorry, we yeah, are full." It's just like delete. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should look into it. Think about $500 a stool. That's a lot of money. I would only, you know, I would only do that like two or three times a week because I don't want to be like greedy. A thousand bucks a week. Yeah. That would be amazing because think about it this way. You'll notice that when you get to LA, like when you're in LA for a while and you go to parties, people are like, so what do you do? You'd be like, I'm a stool donor. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean? I donate my stool. 500 bucks a week, baby. It's all I do. <laughs> I'm all about it. I think you should look yeah. into it. I'm not going to help you package it, though. That's You're on your own with that. But um, I'm wondering if it is like you have to like buy Tupperware or you have to buy a special. This is how they'll get you, right? You have to buy like a special freeze-dried box from them that costs $250 each. That's how they'll get you. I've, I'm going to look into this. I think this is something. I bet you we, we have some listeners that are like 500 bucks a week. Well, no, not? a stool. Not just or 500 a week. bucks a stool. Yeah. But I mean, if you make like, if you just send them one a week, that's 500 bucks. Right. This is another question I have. So does it have to be $500 with the same stool movement? Because sometimes you can have many stools within a movement. Or does it just mean per, because like, wouldn't you be like, oh, there's 10 in there. That's like fucking a ton of money. Are you talking like 500 per log? That's what I'm talking about, yeah. I don't I don't know. You'd have to find out because I don't know if the log, if it has to come from, you know, a different stool, period. Like, I don't know if you have to like, because if it's from the same stool, then I don't, I don't know if they could use it. Whoever named it stool. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I'm going to help you go through the questionnaire. I'll ask you the questions. We can fill it out on uh, Monday because I have the day off federal holiday this also sounds like far play <laughs> <laughs> your stool i'll help you with your stool questionnaire yeah, and then we'll have wild <laughs> ape-like sex afterwards <laughs> maybe i'll throw my stool at you <laughs> I mean, we're not gonna do that not yet <laughs> we, we, haven't, we haven't got to that point of our relationship not yet <laughs> so um speaking of stool throwing so this <laughs> It's the worst segue ever. Um, I meant to say this Monday is a federal holiday. It's uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And most people who work government or corporate jobs in the States have the day off. Um, you know, it's funny. My job sends out an email with like links to events you can attend to like reflect on the life and legacy of, of uh, Dr. Dr. King. Um, but I don't think anyone actually does that. I think most people are just sleeping in from getting loaded the night before. Uh, I think uh, MLK's dream was a world where both white and brown stools <laughs> were being paid five hundred bucks a day. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like I think that was his dream. This was his dream. Easy money. <laughs> Did you know uh, Dr. King was only thirty nine when he was assassinated? It, you know what? Back then, people just aged so hard. They all looked like they'd like had the worst newspaper like, rounds. I thought he was in his fifties. I know, and it's you know, it's because they all dressed in suits and stuff. You know, they would start going out the house in a suit at the age of ten, and suits are aging. Yeah, he was assassinated April 4th, 1968 at the Lorraine Motel in uh, Memphis. 
um, you know, which is preserved as a National yeah. Civil Rights Museum. I went to it a few years ago. I was going to say, I would love to go and see it because they've preserved the whole, both yeah, of them. They preserved yeah. the whole room and everything. And it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely impressive. You can't go in the room. No. Um, but actually, you might be able to go in the room. When, I, when we were there, they weren't giving tours, so it was a lock, but you could walk around the hotel. That's pretty cool. Take selfies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, 39 years old. I was like, holy shit. He was pretty young. I mean, at the age of 39, what, I'd been recording this show for nine years. I was like, That's I'm, my legacy. I'm turning 39 <laughs> next month. So yeah. <laughs> I would be like the same age. ML, me and MLK have just achieved so much. Like I've achieved nearly as much as he has. Yeah, but wow. how much is MLK? How much was he paid for his stool? Oh, do you know how much an MLK stool would cost today? Probably It'd be a into lot. the millions. Probably a lot. It'd be like, I imagine that the stool that would cost the most from a historical figure or famous person is the stool that killed Elvis. Oh yeah, Elvis is. I bet. El, I think any stool from Elvis would cost a lot, and they'd be they'd be huge, even though they would be. People would be paying for that. I would. <laughs> so this week we're not going to chat about the Martin Luther King Jr. assassination. Everybody knows about that. Rather, we're going to discuss a failed assassination on his life by a woman named Isola Curry, along with several other failed assassinations involving uh, political figures. But before we get into all of that. Let's chat about something that I hope a schizophrenic listens to while attempting the assassination of a political figure. The sick and wrong patron. Thank you. And I hope that if there is anybody out there who's thinking of committing a violent act, please wear a sick and wrong t-shirt as you do it. Yeah, that's how you show your support. Free advertising. But if you listen to this show, this, this fine podcraft every week, then all we ask is for you to sign up for the patron, uh, join Apple Podcasts, and uh, just support the show. You know, contrary to popular belief, we don't make enough money to produce this fine program full time. And we have no choice but to depend entirely on the generosity of our listeners. Hence why I'm asking Kate Rambo to sell her stool. Um, but <laughs> Please join or I'm going to have to start selling my stool. <laughs> but for only five bucks a month, you get access to Sigurong's second show. We do two shows every week. Um, the, the second show is a bit more personal, a bit more saucy at times. This week, though, we have a special treat. A very special treat. A sweetheart was on the show. Harrison's, Harrison's cousin, Zach, was a guest on the show, uh, mainly talking about the, the tunnel Jews of New York City. But he also kind of went into a lot of details about uh, Harrison's past, like Harrison's childhood, Harrison's family, uh, the funeral. Like what yeah. happened at the funeral that we didn't even know about. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a very revealing emotionally overwrought episode that, that you don't want to miss. Um, it, was, it was cool chatting with Zach, and we'll definitely have him on the show again. Oh, but, he's hilarious. Uh, yeah, he's a lot of, there are a lot of details about Harrison's life and some anecdotes that I had never heard before. Yeah. Very entertaining. You want to check it out. Five bucks a month. You get access to Sick and Wrong Second Show on Patreon. Uh, you, get, you can actually get uh, access to the, the Discord as well. Um, and you don't even have to join Patreon. You can join. Uh, you can listen to a second show just on Apple Podcasts. So there's a couple different ways there to support us, as well as um, the archives are available on Apple Podcasts now. The first six years of Sick and Wrong, just do a search on Apple for uh, Sick and Wrong Podcast, and then you can subscribe to the archives. Uh, Patreon.com/slash/SickandWrong. Sign up today. Support the show. Uh, we do appreciate it. So let me play this quick patron promo, and then uh, let's discuss the people who put the ass in Assassin. Hey guys, it's Steven again. 
Just calling from heaven through a miracle of cybernetic processes. Just to say, thanks for creating your Patreon page. I love to kick back and smoke a fat one with my boy Carl Sagan. While we listen to the extra phone calls and stories we get all the time. Anyway, talk soon. Love you. Bye. So Martin Luther King Jr. Day in America, it's a day to celebrate the legacy of a Capricorn. Although though no one is more Capricorn than Nicholas uh, Cage. You've got to sign up to the patron to hear the, uh, the love note that I made for Nicholas Cage. And uh, Martin Luther King was actually born on January the 15th. But we're not going to let that get in the way of a public holiday, are we? I assume most of you will know who he is, but this is a quick refresher. It's mainly for the Euro set too, because we don't get taught about MLK in school. But people have to know who Dr. King yeah. is in, in Europe. Yeah, but you guys will get taught way more about the Civil Rights Act in school than we will, than we did. We get like World War II shoved down our throats. You get the Civil Rights Act. I, I mean, in all honesty, you guys were, you know, quite, quite more progressive in that area than we were. Well, we'd had our turn at it, didn't we? <laughs> so he's a Baptist minister, he's a philosopher, he's a plagiarizer, a philanderer, and he advocated the use of nonviolent means to end racial segregation via a moral revolution, and he was hugely influential and instrumental in the passing of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. This actually led to him being awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, but he was a very divisive figure during his lifetime. So the last poll that was taken about his popularity in 1966 during his lifetime found that his unfavorable rating was 63%. So if you compare that to Bobby Kennedy's um, approval rating in the same year, Bobby Kennedy was at 74% favorable. Well, it's quite a bit better than Biden. Yeah, (laughs) he's probably zero, old man Biden. And uh, we all know that Bobby Kennedy was looking likely to be the next president if it wasn't for him meeting the sharp end of a short knife wielded by an absolute nut job. The reason MLK had such a highly negative rating, it comes uh, about when he turned his attention from Southern segregation towards the North, as in nationwide segregation. The whites weren't very happy about this. I don't think the whites appreciated Dr. King. They did not. (laughs) And Dr. King, although he was not a doctor... He was also not a volunteer. He's a revolutionary. And due to his fame and acclaim, he was beating off the bitches with a bat. Oh, I imagine he got a lot of ass back He then. got so much poon, man. He got tons. Although, uh, what, what's his wife's name? Coretta? Coretta. Coretta. She must not have been happy about that. Well, he had married her in 1953, and she had been an anti-segregation activist herself. And she was also pretty good at turning a blind eye to the countless affairs that her husband was having whilst he was on the road. So I wonder how many like illegitimate kids he has. Oh, probably loads. There's probably loads of his offspring bouncing around. The FBI, the FBI are also going to pop up a lot during this episode. They'd long been keeping a sneaky eye on Dr. King. They were tapping his phones in 62 under the watch of Big Daddy J. Edgar Hoover. They never caught communist plotting or a call to radical arms, but instead they caught tons of sliz calling up for medical advice from the doctor of love. (laughs) Groupies and prostitutes, all the prostitutes were paid for with Southern Christian leadership conference money, by the way. Uh, So we're all called to his various hotel rooms across the country with the king uh, inviting all the schliz to segregate with his cock, sometimes in orgies with at least half a dozen willing political donors. What was the uh, racial breakdown here of the sliz? 
probably more black to begin with, but I bet there was some like tuned in and I mean, turned on like, white chicks here. Did he like the lighter meat? Well, he was married. Coretta's a black woman. I yeah, think he I'm just, just liked any vagina. Oh, okay. All right. Any vagina he is. Actually, years later, so Jackie O, she spills the beans that Bobby Kennedy had told her all about the FBI recordings. But Bobby should also know a thing or two about the FBI being all up in your business due to his scandalous affair with Marilyn, making him and his brother Johnny real-life Eskimo bros. <laughs> Fun fact, uh, John Kennedy was hung like a cashew. He was also a two-minute man, and that's why he wore a corset and he didn't wear Jackie O around his waist. Good on you, Jackie divorce him well either like divorce him or wait for his head to explode <laughs> whatever comes first either way Coretta ignored the smell of herpes on her husband's dick and it was another lady that would try to hand down some fine feminine retribution to the king of sexy civil rights on September the 20th 1958 a small crowd had gathered in the shoe section of Bloomstein's department store in Harlem they're there to meet the king, not Elvis, the other king, MLK, and he's signing copies of his memoir about the year-long uh, Montgomery bus boycott titled Stride Towards Freedom. Have you ever read that book? Did you read it in school? You know, I think we we had to read excerpts from it. I don't, I've never actually read it um, personally. It feels like it would be dry. As he's signing his autograph, an older, very fabulously dressed African-American lady, she's got cat's eye glasses and she's wearing a sharp suit. She approaches him and in a southern drawl, she asks him, are you Martin Luther King? That's my southern drawl. How, how would she not know? Well, I think she's just like double just checking. Confirming. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and King's like, duh, yeah, it's me. <laughs> And when he says this, the 42-year-old woman, she leaps across the table and she plunges a seven-inch penknife into his chest. And she actually did it with such force that she broke the handle of the penknife. Whoa. You know, a lot of people have never heard about this woman. No. I never, I mean, I, I didn't think know. there were multiple attempts on, and, and bomb threats on Dr. King's life. Um, but I had never read about this until recently, about yeah. this woman actually stabbing him with a letter opener. So the bystanders, they restrain her and they wait for medical and the police personnel. And she shouts, I've been after him for six years. I'm glad I done it. <laughs> so we do all appreciate a chick who's got a goal here. It's yeah. sick and wrong. Got a mission. Uh, MLK, he remains conscious and he's calm as like the blood is spreading across his white shirt. And he's actually the one to console the crowd. And he's saying, that's all right. Everything is going to be all right, everyone. Chill out. But I mean, he had it sticking out of his chest. So, yeah, right? and he's just like right. looking down at it being like, it's all cool. It's all good. Damn. The steel tip of the penknife was actually a fraction of an inch away from his aorta. So that's the main artery that carries blood from the heart to the rest of the body. And he writes in his autobiography, which is published after his death, the razor tip of the instrument had been touching my aorta and my whole chest had to be opened to extract it. If you had sneezed during these hours of waiting, Dr. Baynard had said, your aorta would have been punctured and you would have drowned in your own blood. So she was so close. Wow, just like a, maybe like half an inch to the left. Yeah, with the knife still lodged in his sternum, he's carried in his chair to an ambulance and he's rushed to Harlem Hospital for treatment and he's going to face his attacker here too. So Isola, which is a great fucking name. That is a great Isola, name. Isola, wear curry. She was one of eight children born June the 14th, 1916 to sharecroppers near Adriana, Georgia. So she's a Gemini. So it kind of makes sense why she's a crazy bitch. She left school in seventh grade, so that's about the age of 12 or 13. But that wasn't uncommon for the time. You know, she's going to go and work yeah. on the farm. 
She gets married when she's 21, but it doesn't work out. So she leaves to New York City where she would find work as a housekeeper. But you know what they say about New York City. If you can make it there, then you can make it anywhere. Well, Isola did make something of herself there because shortly after she moved, she began hearing voices. (laughs) Okay, so she's a schizophrenic. Yeah. All right. She suffers delusions. She's got all the smattering symptoms of schizophrenia. And she becomes particularly obsessed with the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP. And her obsession actually caused her to lose a few jobs. So she moves in and around and out of New York City, but she returns here in 1958. Well, I don't get it. Why was she so obsessed with the That's NAACP? F- Why am I so obsessed with Nicolas Cage? It's, it's her thing. It's no, just but what I mean, she Did wants. she feel like she was wrong by them? Like, I, I don't get it. Like, I was think she bitter? She- yeah, I think she's like, no changes should happen. Or she, or she just didn't want colored people to advance. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> okay. let's keep it the way it is. So after the attack, MLK fingered Isola from his hospital bed. And I don't mean fingered. <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, that is one horny bastard. <laughs> He's like, come here, honey. <laughs> you just tried to kill me, but you're sexy. Come here, baby. Isola, she's found to be suffering from schizophrenia and during her police interrogation after they had extracted a gun from her bra aka Angela's wallet that's an inside joke for Claudia right there she gave numerous incoherent and conflicting statements and she referred to the plagiarizing preacher as either Arthur King or Arthur Luther Arthur what? Arthur Luther Arthur Luther Arthur Luther well why didn't she use the gun instead of the knife? Why does anyone do anything? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's like, why would the voices commander to use the weapon that would actually succeed in killing him? Well, I mean, she was so close to the knife, though. She yeah, was yeah. so close. It surprised no one when her IQ came back as the equivalent of a German shepherd, as in, your boy is different, Miss Gump. The state requires a minimum of 80 to attend public school, Miss Gump. He's going to have to go to a special school, Miss Gump. High of 70. She has Oof. an IQ of 70. Ultimately, she blamed MLK with conspiring with communists. They were placing her under constant surveillance, which caused her never to be able to hold down a steady job. Yeah. It kind of sounds like meth before meth. Well, I mean, she's insane. She is. So, (laughs) makes sense. He does survive, obviously, and he has the scar the shape of a cross over his heart, which kind of looked like a target for an assassin's gun. (laughs) Although it's going to be his jaw that is going to be blown away by James Ulrey. So the night before he dies, King had spent the night laying down vertically with a female state legislator. And another woman who'd been waiting outside for him, angry that she wasn't getting a slice of civil rights cock, she had a physical altercation with King at around 8 a.m. on April the 4th, 1968. King slaps the woman so hard she falls across the bed because we must remember this about equal rights. Bitches ain't shit, but hoes and trees. <laughs> what a player. <laughs> I, what a, I never knew this about Dr. King. Was he hung like a horse? He fucking had to be. Ah, oh, man. At 6 p.m., he steps onto his balcony for a cigarette, and a, a lit up bullet blew into his mouth instead. The king, one of them is dead. Izola was committed to the Matawan State Hospital, and she spends the rest of her life in and out of the nut house, and she dies in 2015 at the age of 98 after complications. 98 years from old. From a fall. Yeah. Wow. So she got to, and like there was no comments. Like no like the New York Post didn't try to hunt her down and ask her for like comments about what she did. I think she was just insane. Yeah, I'm surprised no one ever made a movie about her. Well, it's, she's just going to be an. There's not much I know to to go on. Look, but there is a do. movie. It's called Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
Yeah, that, that was very enlightening. And it's, I'm glad we're sharing this on Martin Luther King's birthday. It's a, it's a way for us to reflect on his legacy as a player. <laughs> as, yeah, as, Damn. A, as a dong man. <laughs> Damn. So did you know that there were two presidential assassination attempts on Gerald Ford? I did, and I especially know who did one of them. Yeah, you know, I had heard about the first, but I did not know about the second. And both happened during visits to uh, California in September 1975. Oh, shit. <laughs> Fucking don't go to California. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder the Republicans hate California. <laughs> um, and both of these attempts were perpetrated by women. Yeah. Very atypical. So the first attempt on uh, Gerald Ford's life came on September 5th, 1975. So uh, he was walking near the California Capitol building in Sacramento when a 26-year-old woman wearing a red robe, slipped out of the crowd. This woman's name was Lynette Squeaky Fromm. A lot, a lot of people out there would uh, recognize that one. Uh, she was a member of the infamous Manson family. And though she was, she was not actually involved in the Tate-LaBianca murders, though. Oh, yeah, but she deeply regretted that she wasn't yeah. invited to take I, part. I don't get why. Why didn't they bring her along for the ride? She was in jail at the time. Oh, she was in yeah. jail. Okay. Um, Fromm actually was the second member of, uh, of the Manson family. She was. She's probably in, his most devoted. Yeah. Um, and I also didn't know this at the time, but uh, ranch owner George Spahn gave her the nickname Squeaky because of the sounds she made when he touched her. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> I thought it was just her voice. That's why they called her Squeaky. But no. apparently she squeaked when she was groped by that old man. <laughs> so Gerald Ford noticed her, noticed this woman. I mean, she, can you get any more conspicuous? In a red robe. But wouldn't you be like, she looks so familiar. Like, I mean, I don't know if he, yeah, I don't think he recognized her from that. But he did notice this woman in a, red, in a red robe walking towards him. And he said that she appeared to either want to shake his hand, his hand or speak to him or at least get close to me. But she didn't want to do either one. She instead raised a forty-five caliber pistol and pulled the trigger. But to her dismay, the gun did not fire. How embarrassing. So as the Secret Service agents were tackling her, she kept screaming, it didn't go off. It didn't go off. Can you believe it? It didn't go off. What a riddy, as the Scots say. Well, she forgot to uh, load the chamber. (laughs) Wouldn't that be like, this this is your one job. Your one job. She wasn't the smartest member of the uh, Manson family. Well, was anyone? (laughs) Come on. So Fromm uh, allegedly wanted to kill Ford to make a statement about the environment. So after the Manson family was convicted and sentenced to prison, uh, Fromm and some other female members started a new cult, uh, an order of nuns within, a, within the group they, they called the International People's Court of Retribution. And this group terrorized corporate executives who headed environmentally destructive businesses. Yeah. So Fromm... Um, was still enamored of, of, of Manson, so she devised this plot to kill Ford in order to win Manson's approval and to draw attention to the cause of the environment. I think it's something that actually could have worked for Manson. There's an amazing footage on YouTube as well. I'm sure if you just type in Lynette Squeaky from Gun, and it's when they're there in their like, cabin hideaway, and they're just showing you all their guns. It's around this time before she gets arrested. I'll have to check that out. Is this, this was part of that group? Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's a lot of groups at that time um, that were, you know, violent hippies. I know. I miss those days. Bring back. Bring back the revolutionary cults. So Ford, you know, was actually unshaken by this attempt. 
Good for him, Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Jerry has balls of steel. And he went to the California legislature <laughs> in the Capitol building to give his scheduled address, which the topic was crime. Oh, the irony. <laughs> So uh, Squeaky was convicted of attempted murder, sentenced to life in prison. Uh, she was paroled on August 14, 2009, after serving 34 years. Yeah. Um, so when she was released, uh, she was released from the Federal Medical Center at Carswell, which is a federal prison in Fort Worth, Texas, for female inmates. And then she uh, moved to Marcy, New York, where she and her boyfriend, Robert Waldner, live in a house decorated with skulls. Apparently so, yeah. <laughs> and in a 2019 interview, uh, Fromm was asked about Manson. Uh, Do you still love Charlie? And she said, was I in love with Charlie? Yeah, I still am. <laughs> She's never, you know, you've got to give it to her. For still hanging on to that old hippie's cock, like, what, 50 years? I don't know. I mean, uh, there, there must have been something, some, some kind of charisma there. I mean, I think the pheromones stuck to you because yeah. he never bathed. So the second attempt on Ford's life was just 17 days later, September 22nd, 1975, also in California. But this time it was by a woman named Sarah Jane Moore, a housewife from West Virginia. So she was actually born in Charleston, West Virginia. She had been a nursing school student, a Women's Army Corps recruit, and an accountant. She was divorced five times. Wow. And she had four children before she turned to revolutionary politics in 1975. Uh, Moore comes from a Christian background, but later began practicing Judaism for some reason. So Moore's friends said that around like uh, the mid-70s, she had a fascination and later an obsession with Patty Hearst. Right. So after Hearst was kidnapped by the uh, Symbionese Liberation Army, uh, Randolph Hearst, her father, created the organization People in Need uh, to feed the poor as a response to the SLA's claim that the elder Hearst was committing crimes against the people. And so Moore, Sarah Moore here, was a volunteer bookkeeper for uh, PIN. And she had been serving as an FBI informant there until the moment she attempted to assassinate uh, Ford. So... Sarah Jane Moore believed her attempt on the president's life was a gesture of protest against the Vietnam War and an attempt to inspire a political revolution against the conflict. Wow. So, you know, she did have lofty goals here. So when the president was leaving a conference at the St. Francis Hotel in uh, San Francisco, she took a shot at him with a thirty-eight caliber pistol. But the first shot missed. And as she fired a second time, a Vietnam veteran named Oliver Sippel saw her with the gun and he lunged at her, moved her arm, and it caused the bullet to miss forward by just a couple feet. Wow. It actually bounced off a wall and hit a nearby cab driver who was, oh. slight, who was slightly injured, but he, he ended up being okay. Yeah, when he's going to get some good comp money as well. I mean, the Francis is a bit cursed for presidents all yeah. went, like well you know <laughs> a lot of crime happened there through a bobby you know died there so as the shot was fired ford winced and then he was bundled into his limousine by secret service agents and the car sped off at high speed and the agents were lying on top of him as they drove to the airport and he said i'm going to be crushed to death it's a goddamn armor-plated car get off me <laughs> jerry <laughs> <laughs> so following her arrest uh, Moore said, if I had had my forty four with me, I would have caught him. 
So the FBI case agent here, Richard uh, Vitamanti, uh, determined that if Moore had used her other 44 gun or if the sight of the 38 had not been faulty, she definitely would have killed Ford. Wow. She would have at least had a headshot and maybe better because she had been practicing. So the shot was off about six inches. Yeah, and didn't you say she was an army recruit as well? So she, she definitely worked, knows. Yeah, she was huh. in the, uh, the, the female corps, uh, the women's army corps. Recruit, yeah, she so. fucking knows what she's doing. So um, Oliver Sippel here, interesting story about this guy. So he said, I'm not a hero. I'm a live coward. It's probably the scariest thing that ever happened in my whole life. This is a man who's been to Vietnam saying that. Yeah, he was a Marine Corps veteran who was wounded by shrapnel during two tours in Vietnam. Holy shit. And this was the scariest thing that ever happened to him. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, probably because when he was in Nam, he was on a lot of heroin. (laughs) I think think he's just being humble here. Um, So, yeah. He ended up, by, by grabbing her arm, I think he probably did uh, uh, save the president's life. So it wasn't long before the media found out that the president's savior here was a combat-wounded Marine who had served in Vietnam, and he was a hero. But Sippel didn't want any of this media attention. He even told a reporter that night, I'm not a hero. I don't know why I did it. It was just the thing to do at the time. So Sippel, it turned out, was gay. And San Francisco was the only city a somewhat openly gay man could live in at the time and, you know, live as a gay man and, 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 and not have any issues, especially where he is from. So his family had no idea about his gay lifestyle. Yeah. And when the media spotlight hit him, everyone found out. And so the man who saved the president, president of the United States at the time was a close associate of gay rights activist Harvey Milk. Do you reckon they banged? I reckon they banged. I bet you they probably did. Yeah. Um, and it was Milk who outed Sippel to the media. So I think the main reason he wanted to do is to change public perception that gay people weren't just pedophiles and perverts. It's actually gay people could be a, you know, a square-jawed, strong Marine veteran who fought in Vietnam. You know who uh, helped get Harvey Milk elected to office? Jim Jones. Jim Jones, thank you. I think it's been four episodes since I've mentioned him, so I'm allowed to bring him up every episode again. But it was. He elected They were him associated, yeah. Yeah, they were. Um, but Sippel didn't want to be outed. And, uh, Obviously. You know, and of course, the story of him being this gay hero who saved President Ford uh, was soon in his hometown newspaper uh, in the Detroit Free Press. And Sippel's relatives were inundated by reporters. And then the church began to question its relationship with the family. So the family cut all ties with Sippel. That's sad. It's very sad. But Harvey Milk Milk also has a history of outing over gay men. Like he was a bit of a dick. I don't think he did this with, with, you know, negative intentions. I think he thought he's a hero and this guy's a gay hero and we should draw attention to that. Yeah, but wouldn't you be like, so Ollie, what you did was a really heroic act and we'd like, as a member of like, you know, the homosexual society, why don't we just tell the world you're gay? And if all these like, nah, nah, I don't want to do that, then you'd be like, all right, I respect your decision. He at least should have had the uh, consideration to ask him. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, so when Ford returned to the White House, uh, he wrote a heartfelt and public letter as a thank you to Sippel. Um, but the damage was done. Sippel filed a $15 million lawsuit against all these newspapers that outed him. But after nine years of litigation, <gasps> the California Supreme Court threw it out because his defense of the president that day made him a public figure. Didn't, didn't Ford give him something? Like, wouldn't you be like, this man saved my life. I'm going to buy him a, a house and a car. He gave him a heartfelt and public letter. No, fuck that. I want a house <laughs> and a car paid for. 
Well, Sipple uh, soon began to struggle with alcoholism and mental health issues. Um, and 100%, he was a 100% disabled veteran. He had neither problems with neither one of those prior to saving the president. Wow. Yeah. Um, so the hero's life ended in 1989 when he was found dead in his San Francisco apartment next to a bottle of bourbon. He'd been dead for weeks. And his letter of thanks from President Ford was framed on the wall. Oh, that's really Isn't sad. Isn't that kind of sad? So super sad. So tragic. Oh, I wonder what type of bourbon it was as well. Yeah. Four roses. So Sarah Jane Moore pled guilty to the assa- attempted assassination of President Ford, and she was sentenced to life in prison. Wow. At her hearing, she said, am I sorry I tried? Yes and no. Yes, because it accomplished little except to throw away the rest of my life. And no, I'm not sorry I tried, because at the time it seemed a correct expression of my anger. Is she still alive? Uh, she is still alive. Um, so uh, one, one aside here is Moore and Fromm actually share another uh, similar uh, distinction here. They both escaped briefly from the women's federal prison in Alderson, West Virginia. Yeah, I remember when Squeaky Fromm escaped. Yeah, in February 79, Not uh, like I remember Sarah Moore it, but... escaped from Alderson but was captured three hours later. And she had to serve an additional three years on this escape charge. In December 23rd, 1987... Uh, Squeaky escaped from the same federal prison in West Virginia in an attempt to meet Manson. Oh, she she needs that (laughs) dick so bad. (laughs) So uh, uh, um, an author named Jerry Spieler wrote a biography of Sarah J. Moore called Taking Aim at the President, the remarkable story of the woman who shot at Gerald Ford. And she said Moore, who is married five times and the mother of four, is a very dangerous woman. She said she has personality disorders. She has no sense of the consequences of her action, actions. She's not a totally violent person unless you don't do what she wants you to do. She's narcissistic and self-righteous, and she will flip the minute you don't do what she wants. And this woman had like hours of interviews with her. I wonder how much of that, though, is definitely because she spent, what, she got arrested in 75? She spent like 50 years in jail. And you become institutionalized, don't you? Well, she was actually paroled in 2007 after serving 32 years. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So that's still a fucking long time to be in jail. Yeah, I don't know what really happened to her. Uh, Spieler said that uh, she never showed any remorse for shooting at Ford. She she fancies herself a political prisoner. Right. Okay. (laughs) Whatever you want to tell yourself. But at the same time, I mean, I'd be like, yeah, I totally shot at the president. It was great. (laughs) High five. (laughs) As for Ford himself, uh, the former president was dismissive of both of his would-be assassins. He's like, Squeaky Fromm was off her mind. Sarah Jane Moore the same way. This is in an interview with Larry King in 2004. He said, people said to me, why don't you stay in the White House and not go out to meet the public? My answer to them was, president has to be aggressive, has to meet the people, and therefore I did. Uh, Though the White House never announced it, um, but after the St. Francis incident, Ford always wore a thin bulletproof vest in public. I don't blame I don't blame him either. <laughs> two times. Two, Every two time they're like, life. President, we're going to go to California. You, you start breaking out in a little sweat. <laughs> then yeah. he gets, I'm going to wear two vests this time. <laughs> so another man who liked to smoke in bed, if you know what I mean, uh, is Fidel Castro. And he's an actual poster boy for boys in their first year of college who don't know any better. And he's public enemy numero uno to America, if you want to believe in such things. So this is not a history podcast, but the Cliff Notes version goes that he's the political leader of Cuba from 1959 until 2008, and he was the first to transform a country in the Western world into a communist state. 
although he died, if you believe in such things, on November the 25th, 2016. During his time in office, he survived around, this is a little drum roll moment, 638 attempts on his life, according to the Cuban government. That seems a bit exaggerated, but there were many attempts, many like wacky attempts on Castro's life. There are. Now, a lot of this is obviously hyperbole. It's an essential ingredient in like the image of an invincible leader. And Castro played to this very tune and he would relish telling crowds the various stories of how he'd survived these attempts. Both the Kennedy Eskimo bros would have dug to see this commie dead in a ditch. And aside from the exploding cigar, painted seashells, poison pens, LSD-laced cigars, turncoat mafia members, there was another method of execution sent to deal with this chaos-causing commie, the deadly lover. And this has like all the plots and the twists and turns of a really hammy James Bond movie, like a Roger Moore-era James Bond. It's like Matahari. Yes. Yeah. So... Marita Lorenz, she's been actually nicknamed the patron saint of conspiracy buffs or the Matahari of the Caribbean. But she's also known as the spy who loved Fidel Castro. Uh, Marita was born on the 18th of August, 1939 in Bremen, Germany. She's a lover. She's fierce. She's a real looker with great hair. Uh, and she's a Leo. Her father, Heinrich Lorenz, he's a wealthy Navy captain and he was a commander of a fleet of U-boats. He was captured when he went down with his ship and he's held in a British POW camp. He survives. So her mother, Alice June, she's American. She's born in Delaware, first state in the Union. But she had acting chops and she would perform under the stage name June P- um, Paget, although she wouldn't leave much of a mark on stage. And she's mainly known for the forgettable Broadway show, The Five O'Clock Girl. So she had met and fallen in love and married Heinrich when she had been headed to shoot a movie in France and then war breaks out. But Alice puts her acting skills to good use. She begins working for the French underground and she assisted in the rescue of a French soldier and a British pilot. But someone snitched on her. They also accused her of helping free forced laborers in the Brenham uh, escape. So Alice and Marita, uh, Marita they're, sh- they're sent to Bergen-Belsen in 1944. Oh, wow. It's impossible to get through a show without mentioning the Nazis. Yeah. They're here. The Nazis are here. Yeah. They played a significant part in history. So Bergen-Belsen actually became a concentration camp very late on in the war in 1943, and about 50,000 people would die here, the most famous being Anne Frank, who dies of typhus in February or March of 45. The camps liberated on April the 16th, 1945, by British forces, who discovered thousands of unburied rotten corpses, rats who were biting the barely living who could not fight them off, and there would actually be about 13,000 people dying after liberation who were too ill to ever recover from the time spent there. The Brits would burn down the whole camp to prevent the spread of typhus. And there's the really famous World War II picture of like a soldier admiring like the typeface on a huge billboard that details all the crimes of Bergen-Belsen. We should Hmm. put it on the site. It's a great picture. But some of you might remember the camp commander of Bergen-Belsen, that's Joseph Kramer, and that's from our um, Irma Grisa episode on Patreon from way back. We did that so long ago. The two had very fitting nicknames. He's the Beast of Belsen, and she's the Beautiful Beast. And they had a sordid love affair, and they went down together. They're hanged by Albert Pierrepoint in Hamlin Jail on the 13th of December, 1945. So this is just a little tasty treat to tap 
trap you in our own concentration <laughs> camp, the sick and wrong Patreon. <laughs> but the showers there are very hot and steamy and sexy. Yeah, well, when they're not filled with gas. Wink, wink. <laughs> Cyclone B. I mean, when did we cover that? That was oh my god, that was women, like when was when it? I had just joined the show. Yeah, so that's how a, long ago it was. It was a couple of years ago. For yeah, sure. um, you can find it on the Patreon. So it's unknown if uh, Marita and her mother were at the camp towards the end or they had been sent on one of the infamous death marches, but they both survive. Uh, Marita was actually raped by a U.S. soldier during the liberation when she was seven. So she was definitely still like not in a house and she was raped wow. by a soldier. Seven years old. Yeah, but she's also brave enough to testify against the soldier in the trials that followed. And it was from here that she developed a lifelong pattern of violence and revenge in all her relationships with men. She's got uh, some issues. There's yeah. some baggage there. Well, I mean, you would at the age of seven. I yeah. would hate men too. <laughs> her mother, Alice, she began working for the OSS, which was basically the CIA before the CIA. Not much is known about her role or what it was, but it's an open secret in the family and it's going to kind of rub off on her daughter. Alice and Heinrich had divorced at the end of the war and in 1950, Alice and her children moved to Manhattan and Heinrich would spend his remaining years working as a captain of very like luxurious ocean liners and he just traveled the world. Marita wanted to do this, so she drops out of school at 15. I mean, like... I can kind of see it. She survived like a year in a concentration camp. She's been raped. Like, give her a break. Yeah, I don't think she needs school at that point. No. She's got the school of hard knocks. So she begins working with her father on his ships, and I'm sure that she was a seaman, and she wasn't swallowing a lot of seamen. <laughs> I had to put it in there. On February the 28th, 1959, she's aboard the boat that's called the Berlin. They dropped anchor in Havana, Cuba. Uh, Marita saw a small boat approaching. It's filled with around uh, 30 armed bizneros or maracons, depending on how you look at it. And uh, who was there, shirtless, at the helm of the boat, steering the ship towards Marita's pussy? It's uh, Mr. Fidel Cockmaster Castro. And he's indeed a cockmaster. He claims to have slept with 35,000 women. 35,000 women. That's insane. Well, That's more than Gene Simmons. Well, Warren Beatty claims that he's slept with 13,000 women. But the maths adds up for Warren Beatty. And the maths adds up for um For, for Castro? Yeah, so we did the math. We did it kind of based on him losing his virginity around the age of 15. And maybe he stopped shagging at the age of 80. So based on two women a day, the maths comes out to 47,320. So the 35 thousand women isn't actually like unreasonable well, i guess if he was shagging what, what, what was it like two two a or year, three or women two a, a day a, two a day two a yeah. day yeah and maybe he stopped shagging earlier the stamina the stamina fidel had an insatiable sexual appetite he had sex of at least two women a day usually at lunch and dinner but sometimes he would squeeze one in at breakfast time <laughs> He loved to flirt with cute girls and he littered his speech with like salacious sexual innuendos. He's a horn dog. Well, when you say had sexual relations, are you talking about like a, does a blowjob count or a handjob count? Or is no. It, is it straight fucking? There's a cock going into pussy. So there's like, okay, penetration. Yeah. All right. I wonder how many people live in Cuba. Like, wouldn't it be like, I've had all the women in Cuba and yeah, their daughters like too. sounds like he did. I mean, yeah. he's a dictator. <laughs> Marita told Vanity Fair journalist Anne Louise Bardock that she gave Castro and his men, including Che Guevara, a tour of their ship. They had a meal, and when her father woke up from his nap, Marita went to her quarters to put on some makeup. 
Fidel follows her to her room and then he gave her a slice of the stiff Castro cock. Marita wrote in her book, The Spy Who Loved Castro, that it was an instant attraction between them. She says, I will never forget the first time I beheld that penetrating stare, that beautiful face, that wicked and seductive smile. What did uh, Marita look like? She's pretty. She's She's fit? Yeah, she's fit. She later told uh, the upscale publication, the New York Post, he was a good lover and a good smoocher. He liked to hold hands and hug a lot. So he's doing the um, uh, Marlon Brando moves. I hope he wrapped it up. Like Marlon Brando was also a famous coxman, but he said that one of the reasons he was considered such a good lover is that after he'd shagged, instead of going straight to sleep, he would listen to the women like kvetch about their life. And that's why everyone was Hmm. like, Marlon's brilliant. You must be with him. She returns to Manhattan, but they both can't stop thinking about each other. And Castro arranges for a plane to pick up Marita and bring her to, Cu- to him in Cuba, where she would be one of his several permanent lovers shacked up in his suite in the Havana Hilton. So she's like a little harem. So what year is this? This is like still, when was it? She was like 19 something. Was it before the Cuban before? Missile Crisis? Yes. Okay. So We're this is talk probably a little 50s, about that. 59. 1950s. Okay. Yeah. He nicknames her... Alamanita, which means little German girl. And Castro seemed pretty happy when his uh, Alamanita becomes pregnant. Marita, the problem with her is she tells lots of contradictory stories and she's known to embellish. And this might be one of them. She claims that she became pregnant with the Cuban commie's kid. And when she was seven and a half months pregnant, Fidel goes away on a political party trip. She said someone slips a drug into her milk. It causes her to pass out. And when she wakes up, she isn't pregnant anymore. Well, it's a Cuban abortion. She's told that the baby was fine, although she's never saw the kid again. She said this event was a non-consensual either, a non-consensual abortion, a miscarriage, or the child is stolen and adopted. But, I mean, she was seven months pregnant. Seven and a half. She was hmm. nearly to term. Whatever happens, she returns to America, and this is the event that causes her to seek revenge. And when the FBI pays her a visit, she uses her anger to, like, their advantage. An agent named Frank Sturgis, whom she met in Cuba, this is also a spy who's going to be arrested during the Watergate scandal. So that's how you'll maybe know his name. It sounds familiar. Yeah. He recruits her to take part in a plot to assassinate her former lover. Although these two, her and Frank, they never become lovers. They did develop a very complicated relationship. I think it was a love-hate relationship. Like uh, Marita loved him and Frank fucking hates her. I've got some good quotes from Frank coming up. So she's sent back to Cuba to reunite with him. And she's carrying two um, botulism-laced pills that's going to kill him in minutes. When we, they are reunited, because this is a Marita story, there are two versions to this tale. In her book, she writes that Fidel immediately knew that she was there to kill him, and he took his gun out of its holster and he handed it to her, saying, no one can kill me. No one. Ever. Which is kind of true. Yeah, I mean, he evaded 638 attempts. Yeah. She realizes it was true, and besides that, she's still deeply in love with him, so she dumps the pills into the bidet, and uh, they shagged, and then she returns to the States. But the other version is that Castro had no clue that she was there to slip the pills into his food, but she had stored them in like a pot of lotion and the pills became like too mucked up to use. Marita Lorenz says that rather than killing her former lover, she confessed that she had been sent there to kill him. Instead of being angry or killing her, she says that they had sex. Then he leaves to make a speech and she returns to Miami. Either way, 
They shag, and she goes back to America. Yeah, I was about to say he's still got he, he's still got his dick wet. Oh yeah, both ways. <laughs> it's all he cares about. He's like, you hit to kill me? Can wow. I fuck you? I don't know who's more of a player, Castro or King. I think Castro is more of a yeah. Thirty five thousand women. It's mm-hmm. insane. Back when she goes stateside, she's soon entangled with the FBI and Sturgis again. She falls in love with uh, she falls in with like the anti Castro Cubans in Florida. She's like, fuck him. Like, I want to see him dead. She starts working as a gun runner and a courier for the CIA in the Everglades. She's testing M16s and living in hotels with these rebels. And this is in preparation for the Bay of Pigs invasion, which is okay, coming. Okay, all right, that's coming out. So the mission was meant to overthrow uh, Castro, but it ends in embarrassment for the United States with 100 Cuban exiles dead and about, you know, 1,200 of them captured in the Cuban harbor. This failed invasion only served to intensify the anti-Castro group's hatred for JFK, who they felt had abandoned them by not sending in air cover to ensure their success. Even though she was like, she hates Castro at this point. She's still like, the, the U.S. should have done better. Well, it sounds like the U.S. is kind of like, you're on your own. Yeah. Castro actually wasn't the only dictated dick that Marita grokked her groove on. So she met Marcos Perez Jimenez. I'm totally saying that wrong. And he's the recently deposed dictator of Venezuela. And uh, she's introduced, um, known, like she calls him General Diaz in Miami Beach in 1961. She said the CIA asked her to collect a large sum of money from one of the anti-communist organizations she was a member of. But after the money was received... He, like, chased her around for six weeks. Well, she likes powerful men. Yeah, and she likes being doing stuff for the CIA undercover. <laughs> she said sex with him wasn't wonderful or even good. I certainly couldn't compare him to sex with Fidel. Marcos wasn't a good lover. He was selfish, and for him, sex was just a function, not something to give yourself up to and lose yourself in. <laughs> He's got things to do. He's places got places to be. To be. So she becomes pregnant with his child and she gives birth to their daughter, Monica. And then he takes daughter Monica back to Venezuela and she's without the child. So Monica's with um, the general in Venezuela. So she never, she never raised a child? Not really, but you'll, you'll like what Monica does when she t- grows up, I'll tell you in a sec. So if Marita's life wasn't exciting enough, she claims that she was in Dallas the night before the assassination of JFK and that she'd even met a man named Ozzy earlier that week and that she'd also been introduced to a man called jack ruby well what other pivotal political moments of history has she been present at i was also going to go to a party at cielo drive in the middle of the hottest summer in 1969 so her stories about her time with castro and uh, the anti-castro cia organizations they can actually all be corroborated but the story about dallas cannot be proven the house select committee heard her testimony but the committee concluded that her story was unreliable they cited an fbi report from the 1980s that says uh, lorenz has provided information in the past some of which is reliable however she does have a tendency to exaggerate <laughs> calling her a liar <laughs> so sturgis who died in 1993 he told vanity fair that he had never met oswald although his name was found in the assassin's personal phone book Sturgis called Marita a liar who's double-crossed a lot of people. She keeps changing who the people were in the cars. I'm not saying everything Marita says in a lie, but she'll do anything for money. Well, it kind of sounds like money and power. Yeah. 
She does go, she tries to find her childhood Castro, but this is after she hooked up with the Italian and the, the Kosher Nostra uh, mobsters in New York. And they're the ones who nicknamed her the Matahari of the Caribbean. She had a son with her eventual husband, but the marriage didn't last long. And they actually spied on diplomats for the Eastern Bloc together, but then they divorced. She loves to spy. So after 22 years of trying in vain, she returns to Cuba in 1981 and she was finally allowed an audience with the general. She says, I need to find answers for Del. I want to know about her son. And she's crying and he's like, he's fine. Don't worry, he's fine. All children here belong to Cuba. Then he signaled to a guard who brought in a tall young man who looked a lot like Fidel Castro. She said to him, am I your mother? And she's breaking down in his arms. And she said, he was our son. I believe that with all certainty. She said that as soon as she had the means, she plans to travel to Cuba and ask Cuba's current leader, uh, Raul Castro, to let her see her son again. She claims his name is Andre and he would be around 57 now. Wait, so is she still alive? No. No. Okay. Right, this right. was a little while yeah, ago. This is, okay. So her other son, Mark, he lives in Brooklyn. He runs an aquarium maintenance business and he manages airbrush artists for kids' parties and other events. And her daughter, Monica, is a former Playboy model. Whoa. And she's an actress and she lives in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. We should find her. We should get her on the show. Yeah. So Castro died in 2016. She was devastated. She said, he was the love of my life, but he lives on in my heart. He's still around spiritually to me. He's just gone in body, not in the soul. She died of cardiac failure in Oberhausen, Germany on August the 31st, 2019. She was 80 years old. Marita described her life as hectic. I was on a merry-go-round and I couldn't get off. Every day was different, but I'm still alive, regretfully, to a lot of people. (laughs) Her life was definitely eventful. Yeah, what a character. (laughs) That's that's insane. So Kay Rambo, you know, with... Considering these stories that we just spoke about, I think you should avoid female assassin as a career choice, as it seems rather hit or miss. Oh, my God, dear. No, I'll just <laughs> stick to the stool, should I? Just go with something that you can, that's reliable, stool samples. You're going to make those every day, you know? <laughs> <laughs> People, it's episode 928 here, Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next. 323-522-4032 is that number. But first, here's a quick message from Adam and Eve. It's Butt Plug Month on AdamandEve.com. Show that you still care by bringing something new into the bedroom. And by something new, I mean a butt plug. Because if you order right now and use coupon code DIDDLE, you get 50% off your first item, a gift so sensual I can't even tell you about it on this podcast that talks about murder and bukkake, and on top of all of that, free shipping. Support Sick and Wrong by supporting our sponsor, adamandeve.com, and making a purchase with coupon code DIDDLE. That's D-I-D-D-L-E. So we have a couple phone calls here to get to. Uh, people can call the Sick and Wrong hotline at 323-522-4032, uh, or you can email the show, sickandwrongpodcast at gmail.com. Just send us an MP3. So the first call we have here is from uh, someone uh, who you admire and who definitely could be considered a player. I don't know if he's at like Castro's level, but he's got to be close. Marshall Island Tony. <gasps> yes, I love him. You know, I wonder if Marshall Island Tony was uh, worried that he was going to be on Epstein's list. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he was sweating a bit? Marshall Island Tony doesn't need an in-between man. Yeah, that's true. Probably also doesn't have enough money to be on FC. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you know, who does? You gotta have like Michael Jackson money, Stephen Hawking money. <laughs> anyway, here's that uh, Marshall Island Tony. 
Hey, this is uh, Tony, if you remember me. For starters, I have to say, I was more than a little bit hurt there when you had your little seance with Harrison and he failed to mention or you know, let alone have a kind word for me. <laughs> so here I am. You know, that, that is a good point. <laughs> we, we should have, that, that would have been a good way to test whether or not the, uh, the spirit that she uh, invoked was actually Harrison because I think there would have been some anger. Oh, there would have been white hot heat, yeah. I think. Can you ask him if he misses his good friend, Marshall Island Tony? Tony. <laughs> Is he looking down upon him right now? And uh, drown my sorrows. I'm going to tell you a bit about uh, back in the day when I used to work at a club in Japan. It was usually on Saturday nights because that's the main party night in Japan. And the, the bad point about this place was um, the pay wasn't great and you know, no tipping in Japan. And long hours, you know, started around like 8, 9 and went to like, Seven eight in the morning, but uh, that that is one crazy thing about Japan. It's like they don't really have like a last call. They like, just wait for you, don't they? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's just out of you know hospitality or something, it totally but like is. we went to a couple bars in that one that region called like the Golden Guy or something. It's a bunch of these like small bars. I remember we were sitting in this one, and this woman just didn't kick us out. I mean, it was like nine a.m. She was passed out at the bar. We we're just continuing to drink. Yeah, and I was, smoke cigarettes. It was like finally, it was like around nine, nine thirty. We're like, who should go? It's crazy. <laughs> this poor woman. The positive side of the ledger. Um, first of all, we could drink all we wanted for free, but uh, of course, more important than that were the, you know, the twin benefits, the LBFMs. Or I guess you'd say, LYFMs in Japan. They were compensation enough. I like. What wait? What is this acronym? LYFM. L-Y-F-M. You should Google that in L -Y -F -M. Japan. L-Y-F-M. Little young F-M. Little young female males. <laughs> Little yellow fucking machine. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Feeling of, you know, instead of paying for a night of debauchery, um, I got paid for it. Kind of made, made me feel like a whore. Send in a few pics of the day. Generally, it was the most fun I've ever had at work. Nights of wine, women, and song. And generally, a, a lot of fun. You know, it started from like little things. For example, when you work the door, ID card in Japanese is um, Mibun Show My Show. And Mibun has a the Chinese character, so like, um, means like identif position, identity, and Show My Show is like, um, like certificate. But of course, with the girls, we'd always say um, opai, which means breast, show me show. Now, we didn't get a whole lot of opai flashes out of it, but I just think, for example, in the U.S., um, sooner rather than later, you get some complaints about that. Sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah, I would say there'd be some, uh, some, some Me Too going on there. Oh, there'd be a lot of upset some women. sexual harassment. On the internet, talking you, about it. Well, you definitely couldn't do it at my work. I think, oh, there, no. I think there would be some yelping going on, but <laughs> maybe not in Japan. Although I suppose the northern slags in the UK wouldn't really care. No. <laughs> but it was just little things like that to what we called um, the stairway to heaven, the part of the building where we showed them our, our special brand of customer service. But I don't think I have enough time for that, so um, I'll keep you in suspense and tell you about that another day. So, later days.
Well, thank you there, Marshall Allen Tony. Now, now I know, and it's a cliffhanger. As always, yeah. The, the special, the secret room. The, the little yellow yeah. fucking machine. <laughs> the LYFM secret room. Oh, I love it. I've never heard that term. You LYFM. Yeah, you obviously didn't go to that part of Japan. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I wonder where. Yeah, where was this? Uh, what area of of uh, Japan of Tokyo was this club, uh, Marshall Antoni? I know there's one area I didn't go to that. Like, uh, I guess back in the day, a lot of the Marines hung out there. And it was supposed to be just like these really cheese dick clubs. Yeah. I, I bet you this is, I can't think of the name of it. Uh, Rum, Rummel or something or Rum, something like that. Rum, Rapugni, Rapugni. Oh, yeah. I know which area you're talking about. It's not Rapugni. I know what area you mean. It's something like that. I've seen it from all those fucking Japanese people I follow on YouTube. Our Japanese listeners, call us us in. It's it's like Rapunji, I think it is. Rapunji. Adam from Tokyo is so upset right now. (laughs) Well, I never went there because all my friends were just like, it sucks. So why would you want to go there? Yeah, is it just like shitty bars? Just like these shitty kind of... Just, is it the bars where women go clo- to spend time with male hosts? Like no, 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 not not those type of bars. I'm talking about like just shitty generic dance clubs. Oh, okay, are, for the kids. It's for the kids. Yeah, that are yeah. like serving you know cheesy sex on the beach shots and playing techno. That's where um, Lucy, uh, who got um, killed, that's where she was working in that area. Probably. I yeah. mean, it was. I don't know, but and it used to be really sleazy. But I heard now it's not even sleazy anymore. It's just. It's just Shit. lame. Yeah. It's kind of like Times Square. Yeah, it's for the of. kids. Yeah. Anyway, Marshall and Tony, uh, love, to, uh, love to hear what's going on in your life and uh, definitely looking forward to the next call. Always um, Marshall and Tony. Always. The second call we have here is from Twisted Firestarter. Um, he uh, calls in a tale of romance. I haven't heard from him in a while. Yeah. And so... Um, this this is uh, Twisted Firestarter's Tale of Romance. Ah, Dean Kate. Epic farter here. <laughs> Only messing. It's your <laughs> bloody little Twisted Firestarter, isn't it? I'm here to tell you a tale about a lovely, lovely young lady I know, unaffectionately named Chlamydia. <laughs> now, her, her forename is just Leah, and of course I've affixed the Chlamyd preceding her name. For obvious reasons, but there is actually a, a slight twist in the tale, so I'll just get on with it. So, Chlamydia is the just the local is. trollop. Everyone's out. Chlamydia? What's the twist? The twist is that she doesn't have chlamydia. She has AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't sound as good, though. Chlamydia. Like, yeah, yeah what I'm going to start calling like? it chlamydia. It really rolls <laughs> off the tongue. <laughs> local trollop. Everyone's had a go on her. But th- there was a time when... I didn't even know who she was or that she even existed. And I remember one weekend, my mate Quaid, he fucked her. And the, the, literally the very next weekend, my other mate, Josh, he fucked her. And both of them caught the clap. And I've got to be honest, I, this was a few years back now. I was so fucking jealous of them. Because I mean, Josh, how the fuck is Josh fucking her? He's, he's an even bigger loser than I am. And, and I, I'm, I'm not even getting a look in. But anyway, I, I just thought, oh, well, what? Yeah, I, th- I think my uh, enthusiasm would have waned a bit once once I heard about two of my mates getting chlamydia from the same woman. Becoming Eskimo bros. And I'd also like to say, calm down, Elliot Rogers. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the other guys got in there. That's just the way it is. Yeah, high five. But I mean, after I would have found out that two of them got chlamydia from this woman, I don't think I would have wanted to bone her. Yeah, I think any interest in yeah. would go. 
<laughs> that's that's how it goes then, I suppose. So a couple of weeks pass, and I'm out downtown uh, on like a Saturday night or something, out with Quaid again. And I see him up at the bar chatting to some girl. Now, all my mates, they're all sort of flocking around him because as soon as one of us starts talking to a girl, they've all got, oh my God, maybe I'll get sloppy seconds or something, you know. Gotta go fucking ruin it. I'm not like that. I, I just leave him alone because I think that's what, that's what I would want them to do for me. Um, so they don't. They all try and fucking ruin it, always. But I suppose I'm just a <laughs> better person than them. You know, who the fuck needs enemies, eh? Um, so I, I go outside and I have a cigarette. And then they all come out, and this, this girl comes out, and then just out of nowhere, she just sits on my lap. And I'm like, I, I'm like... Sh- it's probably the most action he's had in years. Yeah, this <laughs> might turn him from not an incel. Yeah, <laughs> this, this, this is, uh, it sounds promising. And I'm terrified, and I'm just, I don't know what to do, because I don't even know who this girl is, I don't even know her name, she's just sat on my lap, and I'm like... I hope he starts crying. <laughs> okay, just, just don't move. Don't speak. Don't say anything. You'll fuck it up. Just be quiet. Um, Bone <laughs> So she's just sat there on my lap. And I think as she says, and I'm sort of, no, yeah, yeah. Just try my hardest to pretend like I'm cool. Um, you know who he kind of reminds me of? Who? Rick Mayall. And the young ones. Yeah. He just, <laughs> he, just, he just reminds me of him. I'm just picturing Rick just like, be cool. Don't say anything. <laughs> don't move. You have a woman on your lap. <laughs> Anyway, we sort of walk off and people start splitting off and going home. And then, and then this girl says to me, so you, you're coming back to mine then? And again, I, I just a new wave of terror just washes over me. But I tried to suppress it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I guess I am. Tried to play it cool. And I went back to hers and I fucked her. And she, this is annoying. I wasn't even allowed to spend the night she kicked me out at like four in the fucking morning. And this was in like January or something like that. It was freezing. And, I, and she lived on the other side of town. I had to walk all the way home. But silver lining of the story, I didn't catch the fucking chlamydia. I was the only one who fucked her and didn't. And then I fucked her again a couple of weeks later. And that was actually outside a thing, uh, like some old people's home. But whatever. She anyway, that's a, a mild success story from the Twisted Firestarter. Have a lovely year. Wow, Mazel Tov. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great news. She must have gone and got some antibiotics and cleared up the media. Or maybe he wore a Johnny. Maybe he also <laughs> wore you a Johnny. Have been doing, <laughs> knowing that your two friends got chlamydia from her. <laughs> well, that's great. Wait, so now they're all Eskimo bros. Yeah, I mean, now, now they can all talk about it. They yeah, can all talk about it. You've got something in common. You're Eskimo bros. You are. It's a special thing when two men can be Eskimo bros. Yeah. I, think, I mean, I think it's a, it's a bonding moment for the three of you. Yeah. So bless. are you still fucking her, uh, TF? No, I think this is a story from his past. Oh, this is... Because he I'm, said it happened in like January. Okay, but how long did the, uh, I guess, the sexual relations last? And, and did you get to spend the night there? I think, I think that's really funny that he wanted to spend the night there. I would never let a first-time shag spend the night in my house. Like, it's fine to bring them into your house and shag them, but it's going a step too far, like, sleeping next to them. But what, so do you, like, after the shag, just like, I hope you're not saying the, thinking about spending the night here, because you're not. Like, how do you say it? I would how do you probably, broach the topic? I would broach the subject before the shag and say, oh, I wish you could stay, but like, I've got to go to work tomorrow. So, you know, we'll have a couple of drinks and see what's what, but you'll have to go. 
Okay, so you would just make your point clear before the shagging. Yeah, yeah. So then there's no confusion. And then after like, because you know what men are like, as soon as they've fucking spunked, they're like, it's like a race to sleep. out, yeah. Yeah, there's no Marlon Brando types. It's like, you've got 10 minutes. We don't want to listen to you guys. We've already listened. We've already paid enough attention to get into your bed. (laughs) At this point, we want to (laughs) sleep. We're tired. This is why men are shit <laughs> and why women should take over. Go and kill some presidents, ladies. Do I have to listen to another Instagram story? <laughs> do, do I have to listen to an, another post you made about your astrological sign? Hey, you do. Guess who's going to be on the Aquarius edition of Serial Killer Star Signs? You. This is what I got to do to get laid, people. I even <laughs> married her. <laughs> So uh, speaking of astrological signs, um, uh, Twisted Firestarter says, challenge for Kate, using your knowledge of astrology and what you know about me, can you guess my star sign? No. You wouldn't be able to guess what he is? No, because like I say this a lot. Your sun sign actually means fucking nothing. It's like your whole chart as a whole. And it's like, yeah, my sun sign is Pisces, but I also have a stelium in Pisces. So I'm more Pisces than like maybe just a regular other Pisces. And it just doesn't like that type of stuff just doesn't work like that. And I would like to thank, uh, I can't remember. It might've been Martin who said, yeah, it was Martin who sent a, a meme to me on Instagram. Thank you to everyone who sends me memes, by the way. And it said, um, boys be out here hassling girls for believing in like astrological star signs whilst they're at home managing their fucking fake football team like (laughs) come on it is kind of like the same thing it is exactly the same thing but i mean astrology goes back a lot longer than a fate football manager (laughs) to say that goes back a lot so you don't even want to hazard a guess um if you had to pick a star sign you think he would be i would say he's probably like a fire sign it's like, what's a fire sign? So Aries is a fire sign. Oh, he Aries. could be an Aries, yeah. I have like an Aries stealing. Are most Aries like incels? Childishness is a big part of being an Aries. But it can be both good and bad, can't it? So you can be like childish in a really fun way where you're like, make people see the world in a different way. Or you can be throwing the toys. Childish. Oh, okay. So and Aries. I have an Aries stealing, so I understand the pitfalls of being an Aries. He could be. <laughs> So TF writes, still celibate, still loving life, still writing my manifesto. Oh, please don't write a manifesto. (laughs) Congrats on your new place, and I hope you both have a wonderful year. Well, I hope you actually finish your manifesto this year. Uh, right. No, fire starter. I want him to get laid and to stop writing a manifesto because he gets laid. That is my one wish for you this He's, year. That's the thing. He's a voluntary celibate. Well, that's what they, all the incels say, but it's not voluntary because if like what? Pam Randerson in a red fucking swimsuit in the 90s strolled up to him and said, hey, babe, want to ride? He'd be like, fuck yeah, I I'm do. sure he would. <laughs> yeah, but, uh... He'd be like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm just writing my manifesto. Like, come on. <laughs> People can call the Sigmar hotline at uh, 323-522-4032. Big ups to all the listeners who support us on Patreon and Apple Podcasts. We do appreciate you helping us keep it sick and wrong every week. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. And uh, if you want to buy some merch, just head over to the T Public store, sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Uh, Click on the picture of the Pope. And sick and wrong song of the week. uh, I wanted to find something that was kind of appropriate for Martin Luther King's birthday. And uh, I found this song by Public Enemy called By the Time I Get to Arizona. Um, So 
when Public Enemy released by the time I get to Arizona in 1991, Arizona and New Hampshire were the only states that did not recognize the Martin Luther King holiday. Why? I think they do now. Um, I don't know. Racist governors, maybe. New Hampshire just seems so tiny. And like, why? Why would they not be like, everyone have a day off? We're a tiny little state. Well, I get Arizona. I get Arizona. Arizona makes sense. Because it's Republican. Yeah. But New Hampshire. Is New Hampshire Republican? Has it always been Republican? It just seems so tiny and cute. You know, you could put New Hampshire in your pocket and walk around with it. It's just weird why they would choose this hill to die on. You know, (laughs) it's like, just honor the man. Yeah. You know, just for, I mean, look how much ass this guy got. He was a good cox, man. Come on. Yeah. You know? Um, So the song, uh, Chuck D wrote this song um, for uh, Arizona governor at the time, Evan Meacham, who refused to recognize Martin Luther King's birthday as a national holiday. And so the song samples Two Sisters of Mystery by the 70s funk band Mandrill. And the music video stirred up some controversy because it depicts the governor being assassinated with a car bomb. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's from their album, Apocalypse 91, The Enemy Strikes Back. So we're going to end the show here with By the Time I Get to Arizona by Public Enemy. Wait, before we end, do you think MLK would have liked rap and hip hop? Do you think he would have been a fan? He looks like a soul man to me. That's why I ask. I think he definitely would have liked soul. I wonder if, if he would have liked... I don't know if he would have liked like Snoop Dogg or Drake. Or I don't. Rap. He looks like he doesn't look like a t- I think he would have loved Blowfly though. But I do think he would have liked some like politically motivated uh, rap music. Like I think he would have appreciated Public Enemy. Yeah, I think he would have liked it. But I don't see him listening to like The Chronic. <laughs> no, I couldn't imagine him bumping The Chronic. <laughs> Bitches ain't shit. One of my favorite songs. It's my theme yeah. song. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I hope you uh, celebrate. Enjoy your time off. Celebrate and reflect on the legacy of, uh, of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, people will be back next week with episode 929. Till then, take it sleazy. I know that you've heard all kinds of stories about me. That I am a racist. That I am a supporter of the KKK. That I am against civil rights. All because I oppose the Martin Luther King holiday. But I am opposed to the holiday, and I will stay opposed to it as long as I am in office. And as long as there are city officials that agree with me, there will be no holiday in this state.
the day deserve a fitting for a king. I'm waiting for the time when I can get to Arizona, cause my money is spent. For a goddamn rent, neither party is mine. Not the jackets or the elephant. 20,000 Nicky Nicky brothers in the corner of the cell block, but they cover California. Population is none. In a desert and sun, with a gun cracker running things under his thumb. Staring hard at the postcards, isn't it odd and unique? Seeing people smile while in the heat, 120 degrees. Cause I wanna be free. What's a smiling face when the whole state's racist? Why wanna holiday? Damn it, cause I wanna. So if I celebrate it, standing on the corner, I ain't drinking no 40. Drinking time with a nine till we get some land. Call me the trigger man. Looking for the governor. Huh, he ain't loving you hot, but hear the trouble. Yeah, he's rubbing you wrong. Get the point and come along. He can get to the joint. I urinate it on the state while I was kicking this song. Yeah, you better be fair. The sucker over there. You try to keep it yesteryear, the good old days. The same old ways that kept us dying. Hey, yes, you, me, myself, and I indeed. What he need is a nosebleed bleed between the lines. And think you see the lie. Politically planned and understand that's all she wrote. When we see the real side, the hide behind a vote. And they can't understand why he the man. I'm singing by the king. They don't like it when I decide to make it. Wait. I'm waiting for the day for the man who demands respect because he was great. Come on, I'm on a one mission to get a politician to honor, or he's a donor by the time I get to Arizona. Raw dog, you. <laughs> 